So today we're going to be continuing our series on discipleship. And um, last week, if you guys were here, I drew out for you guys a diagram that had five components. You guys remember? So there was uh, a quadrant and then a diamond in the center, and you are the diamond, remember? And so we talked about how Jesus wants us to be his disciples and also to make disciples. We talked about how the world cannot truly be reached unless we are helping make disciples. Amen? We talked about how there's about 1% of the population of the earth that's called to vocational ministry. So if we leave the work to the pastors, the work won't get done. There's too many people. So we all have to shoulder the load together to make disciples and to reach this world. And so we talked about how there's five different ways we are discipled and we make disciples. And the first one was you and God and that God is at work in your life discipling you, right? That he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that it's the anointing that teaches you that Jesus himself is making sure you become like him. He cares a lot about that. And then we talked extensively last week about how times of equipping, things like church Sunday morning, books that we read, conferences we go to, equipping sessions and uh, classes like ones we're doing in a few weeks on the prophetic are times where you become discipled. And so if this is all brand new to you, I encourage you, grab our podcast. You can get it online. It's free. And you can listen to last week's message. But today we're going to talk about the mentoring category. So remember the five were you and God, equipping times, mentoring, relationships with those who don't know Jesus, and then people. Groups. So today we're tackling mentoring. But before we dive into all the ins and outs of mentoring, I want to tell you a story. So we're going to have story time, okay? This is a story I've known for a long time, and I was rereading it last night, and I was enthralled by details I had never read. And this is a story about a group of elephants in Polanisburg, South Africa. Anybody know this story? It's okay, a few of you. Awesome. This is from 1989 and 1999 in that era. And so what happened was there was a Kruger National Park, which is a big park in South Africa with lots of wildlife. In the, I don't know, 20 years before 99, so late, nine, late 70s, early 80s, they had too many elephants, too many elephants. And so there was no technology in their country to move adult elephants to other parks. So they made a really hard decision and they decided to put down most of the adult elephants. And then they took the young elephants that were there and moved them to other land reserves. Okay. Now you guys are like, what the heck is this story? Trust me, it gets really good. So these young elephants get positioned in different parks and, and the Polanisburg National Park took a handful of them. And these were orphaned elephants essentially, right? So they had no adults with them. Now these elephants, they began to grow. Polanisburg Park was um, committed to restoring the white rhino from extinction at the same time, okay? So they were doing all this stuff to have white rhinos in their lands. Now, fast forward about 10 years and all of a sudden, the park rangers find rhinos dead one after another after another and they're trying to figure out here we're doing everything we can to save these white rhinos from extinction and they're just turning up dead so of course they first thought it was poachers right and so they go and they realize that the tusks of the rhinos were still intact so it obviously wasn't poachers so they're they're researching researching trying to figure out they find out it's these young elephants from Kruger Park these young juvenile elephants were attacking these white rhinos and killing them now, if you know anything about the circle of life, anybody see The Lion King recently? You know anything about the circle of life, elephants and rhinos are not really at war with each other, right? They sort of live their own lives. They don't interact. And so the park rangers are baffled trying to figure out what is making these young elephants kill their beloved endangered white rhinos, and what are we going to do about it? All this time goes by, and somebody gets this brilliant idea. After 49 rhinos were killed, 
in a span of a few years, okay? Somebody gets this idea. It's because there are no adult elephants showing these young ones how to live. These young ones have figured out that they can do whatever they want. They don't know what it means to be an elephant. They were too young because they weren't taught, right? So this guy gets this brilliant idea, and they bring in, at this point it's been 20 years, all the technology is there, they bring in these big adult and male and female elephants into Polanisburg Park, okay? Guess what happened? Overnight, there were never another rhino killing. Like that. Overnight. And what happened? One of the, they gave these elephants names, like one was named Tom's Thumb and one was named Mufuto or something like that. They were kind of fun names. But the, the ringleader of these juvenile elephants, when the big ones came in, he comes rocking right up to him, kind of like, hey, this is my turf, right? You don't really belong here, and I, we're doing our own thing. And he comes up to the big elephant, and the big elephant, I can't pronounce his name, looks at this young one, they have this on video, and he bucks it so hard, the young elephant goes off the ground multiple feet and gets knocked over. And the young ones never attacked a rhino again. That's what happened. Isn't that crazy? The power of this big elephant to be like, oh, you think you're something? Okay, you're nothing compared to me. With my trunk, I will lift an elephant off the ground multiple feet, right? They realized this was so effective, they actually um, moved other adult elephants to other parks that were having the same problem, and rhinos were saved, essentially, at least from those predators. It's an interesting phenomenon, and I think it speaks a lot to us as humans as well. If we don't have someone showing us how to live, then we end up doing crazy stuff, right? If we don't have someone who's a little bit farther down the road showing us what it means to be a human, then we end up going way off course. That's why we're talking about mentoring today. Mentoring or discipleship in this way, I think it's the most natural thing we think of when we talk about discipleship. We think, oh yeah, somebody older, wiser than me, helping me do this. And we're going to dive into how to get a mentor and how to be a mentor in today's message. But I just want to encourage you, we cannot fulfill your fullness without someone investing in you. You can't. You cannot become all that God has created you to be without other people investing in you. I genuinely believe this. It's not just my core belief, but it's a biblical instruction as well. So let's be elephants, amen? Let's be big elephants. All right, let's talk about how mentors are like greenhouses. Anybody know what a greenhouse is? I share with you guys how I'm, you know, I have black thumbs, nothing I make, I'm, I tend to lives. All my beautiful flowers, that they made it quite a while, and then now they're mostly dead, so praise God. Even the fake ones died this year, yeah. It was real sad. Don't judge me, okay? No, my, we have some fake flowers in our window box, and the first round I bought held up, and this round, man, woo, they did not hold up to the sun, and they are very much fake in there, so that's okay. Um, but even the fake ones didn't live. But mentoring is like a greenhouse. It's like a, creating an environment in someone's world where they flourish, and you are a support system to them, right? You give them water when it's needed, you give them strength when it's needed, you give them attention, you give them some pruning when that's needed. Mentoring is really parenting, but also, how many of us know, we don't even have to get into the statistics, that most of us didn't have parents who were teaching us how to live our life, right? So we get to step in and be that for other people. I want to tell you about when we lived in Waco years ago, um, Grant was, we were being mentored from a spiritual formation perspective by our pastors, and Grant was growing, and he was flourishing, and he began to discover this business thing in him. Now, you guys all are like, oh yeah, that's obvious. He runs, you know, if you don't know, he runs a real estate brokerage in town, and it's something that's evident now 
now, but back then, this was the stirrings of it, right? And so he was talking with the guy who was mentoring him, and he was asking questions and whatnot, and it became really clear quickly that the one who was mentoring him just really doesn't have a knack for business, isn't interested in it. It's not a problem. It's just what it was, right? But Grant's going, how do I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I need someone to speak into this area of my life. Things are brewing. God is doing something, and I don't know what to do with it. Around that same time, one of our dear friends, Floyd McClung, came into our town to talk in our training school, and he was about to move to South Africa, ironically, and um, he was talking with us one day at this hole-in-the-wall barbecue place. It's called, uh, what's it called? I don't even know the name of it, but it's off the corner of the road, and they're open until they sell out. It's one of those kind of places, right? And so we went to this barbecue place with him one day, having lunch, and Grant just began to share, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I need more in my life. And Floyd pulled out a napkin, and he pulled out a pen. And he began to draw a constellation. You guys know like a star chart. And he drew this constellation, and he said, there's this book that's from the 70s about mentoring. And in this book, there's a chapter that's called, You Need a Constellation of Mentors. This is the first time we'd ever heard of this. A constellation of mentors, which I thought was so interesting, right? And he began to break down how to be a well-rounded person, you don't just need one person speaking into your life. You need multiple people. For him, he was saying you need like a counselor or a therapist, someone that you can go to that knows how to deal with your inner life. You need someone who can help your spiritual formation, like a pastor or a small group leader. You need someone like a coach and your unique career set. You need someone who is like a friend that's, and then someone who's like wise is way beyond your years that you check in with from time to time, right? And if we have this constellation of mentors, then we actually have the help we need. We become the flower in the greenhouse. Amen? It's exciting. So we began to do that. Grant began to look for mentors who could speak into his life. For me personally, I've been really blessed to have some amazing men and women who've been mentoring me since I was a teenager. But I came about three years ago to a place where I didn't have any mentors in my life. And I said, God, I need help. I need help. I want to grow to the next place, and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I began to pray, and the Lord sovereignly, as only he could do, it's too long of a story to get into, connected me with a group of women, and I ended up at this retreat with these women, and all of them were pastors, either um, executive pastors or leading their church with their husbands, and all of a sudden, I was like, what is this group of people? Where have you been all my life, right? And they began to speak into my life and teach me and train me. And I feel like I went from here to here in my ability to function in my day-to-day life. There were things that only they could know because they're in this field that they could speak into, right? In the same way, about uh, 18 months ago, so similar time frame, I was in the kitchen. Grant and I were talking. His business was really exploding. And, you know, as a wife, I don't know if it's just, you know, as a wife discernment or the gift of discernment, but I was looking at him and I'm like, Something is not right. Anybody ever feel that way, right? You're looking at your spouse and you're like, I don't know what it is, but you're not okay. I'm like, are you okay? Grant's like, yeah, I'm great. And I'm like, okay, hmm, what is this that I'm seeing, right? And I I sought the Lord and I realized you are at max capacity. God has grown what you're doing and you're like, you're like maxed. Anybody know that feeling? And I was like, what are we going to do about this? There was something I could tell that the Lord was leading us to. So I was talking to my mom about it and the wisdom of God hit her and she said Rachel Grant needs a coach I was like a coach that's such a weird thought but I felt in my soul like there was something on that right and so she said it was Christmas time and she said I'm going to give him that as a Christmas present a session or two with the coach tell him to go find who he wants to be with okay great so of course Grant you know goes into research mode and he comes back and he says I found this company and it's called Club Wealth and I was like 
just my personal reaction, right? Like, what a weird company name. And he's like, I think this is who I'm supposed to go to. And this is a group of nationally known real estate people. They have amazing businesses. They're really good people. And they do this coaching program. And it was really expensive, like really expensive. And I, my initial thought was, just don't respond. Anybody know what that's like? Like, I obviously need to think this through. Don't respond. And so I was like, okay, let me think about it. So we sought the Lord, I don't know, for maybe a week or two. We prayed earnestly. We asked God, is this the right fit? And the Lord said, yes, this is the right fit. So we said, all right. So he joined this coaching program. It's been 18 months now. We thought he maybe do two or three months. It's been 18 months now. And he, God has, I don't know, at least doubled, maybe tripled his business through the wisdom that these coaches have brought into his life. Specific people who have been there, who know, who can give you what you need, right? One of the brilliant things about it, it's not just what they tell him to do, but it's the way they've helped him change his thinking about business as a whole that's brought him into that place. So I'm hoping I'm whetting your appetite of what it would look like for you to have a mentor in your life. And maybe more than anything, for you to recognize what kind of a mentor do I need. You can have people who speak into your life about parenting, about marriage, about health, about how to run your home, about meal planning, right? You can pick anything, but you need people, you need multiple people in your life. I love how one person puts it that it's like having a board of investors, not like financial investors, but people who are investing emotionally in you, investing spiritually in you. All right, so if you're ready for a mentor, I'm going to give you three, don't put this up yet, but I'm going to give you three ways to find one, three-step process, okay? So you can take notes, and then it'll be on the screen in a second, and then um, write these down because this is like sort of foolproof, okay? So if you're like, I'm ready, I need a mentor, here's what you do. Step one, look prayerfully around your life. Just look around your life prayerfully. Who are the relationships you already have? Is there someone in your life that already is set up by God to mentor you? I think you'll probably find there's a good chance there is someone like that. What are you looking for? You're looking for fruit in them, right? You're looking to see that they are doing something that you want in your life. So you look prayerfully. Step two, be direct and ask them. Now, this sounds really simple, but how many of us have, you know, reached out to somebody and said, let's go to coffee, and then you never actually say what you wanted to say because you get there and you start feeling awkward, and then you start feeling like you're going to be a burden, and then you just end up not, you know, you waste your opportunity. Anybody? Good. I'm so glad none of you have ever done that. But how do you be direct and ask? You say something like this. I see this in your life. Would you help me with that? Super simple, right? Hey, I see this in your life. I see that you are so great at your devotional life with God. I see that you are rocking it in how you love Jesus. Would you help me do that? I see that you are a phenomenal parent. Would you help me do that, right? Does that make sense? All right, and then the third step is be a good investment. So you can put those up here so you guys can take a picture of it, write it down or whatnot. But the third thing you wanna do is you wanna be a good investment. What does this mean? If somebody is giving you their time, own it, take it, use it, right? There's nothing worse than investing in someone and them like never doing what you ask them to do, never even talking about it. It's like, it just feels like a waste for everybody. So if you're wanting a mentor in your life, be a good investment. Doesn't mean you have to blindly follow everything they do, but be honest about it, right? Be open. So if somebody's talking to you about parenting and they're saying, hey, you should do this, and you're like, I'm never gonna do that, then tell them in that moment so that all this time doesn't go by. Got it? All right, so how do you get a mentor? Look around prayerfully, be direct and ask, and be a good investment yourself. Listen, I wanna tell you this, and I genuinely believe this. God reserves parts of your development that are given to you through other people. But wait a second, 
I'm the diamond in the center of the diagram we talked about last week, right? Yes, God is discipling you, but in his wisdom, he saw fit to put you in a body of believers. And in his wisdom, he actually reserves parts of your growth that he gives to other people to deposit into you. So it is so important that not only we have people investing in our life, but that we invest to other people because you guys have been given something to give to someone else. Well, don't tell me that, Rachel. Then I have to do something about it, right? Well, you do. Because if we're all going to reach this world together, we're going to have to give away what we've been given. Amen? All right. Thank you, Garland. Preach it louder. All right, so you've got something to give. So let's talk about what it's like to be a mentor for someone else, okay? One of the, in my opinion, one of the best ways to disciple people is through mentoring. It's just the best. Like to find someone that's a little farther behind you in the journey and to just give what you have. Not only do they get a blessing, but you grow. Like when you start giving away what you have, you realize what God is doing. And it's just such an amazing process. So you can do this in two ways, okay? You can be an acknowledged investor or you can be a silent investor. This isn't a talk about finances. I know I'm using all these words, but you can be an acknowledged investor. What does this look like? This looks like step two on the previous slide where you've had a conversation. Back when Grant and I were dating in like 2003, there was a phrase out there called a DTR. Did anybody ever know this phrase? DTR, some of you. It means to define the relationship. It means something is happening here and I can't quite tell. And so we need to talk about it and acknowledge it. Like when Grant asked me out on a date, well, actually, we had already gone on a date twice accidentally, which was really funny. But at the end of it, I said, God, I really need to know what's going on. Like I need to DTR, but I didn't want to have that conversation with him, you know? And so I said, I think we need to talk. He goes, yeah, me too. So we drive into this parking lot across from his house and, and he turns off the radio. Sorry. It's just such a great story. And he says, um, and he said, man, Rachel, I, we'd been like very good friends for two years. That's the backstory to this. It wasn't like I just met him off the street or anything. And he goes, um, I've never met anybody like you. And I want you to know I'm going to be pursuing you. And in my, like, what is happening, I was like, okay. And I didn't realize until midnight that night, I didn't, I, what just happened, right? There wasn't like a question, do you want to go out? Do you want me to pursue? It was like, this is what's happening. And at the end of the conversation, he said, so I'm going to do this. And I said, okay. And uh, he goes, all right. And so he stuck his hand out like this. And I'm not sure, to this day, he doesn't, he like blacked out. He doesn't remember this. And it was his left hand, so it wasn't like a handshake moment. And I'm super awkward in these kind of things. And so I just go <laughs> and gave him this, like, high five. <laughs> and um, it was amazing. And he was like, he goes, he made this face. Like, I don't think that's what I was going for, but I don't know what I was going for. So glad it's over kind of thing. And I'm like, well, and he's like, yep. And he got out of the car and that was how we began our relationship. <laughs> so DTRs are a good thing to have, right? When you sit down. And so the next day, actually, I woke up and I was like, what did I just do? What is this? Are we like a couple? I don't know idea. And so we sat down and actually talked about what does this mean and all of that. But sometimes when we're mentoring someone, it's an acknowledged investment, right? We've had the DTR. They've either asked you to mentor them or you've said, hey, I would love to invest in your life. And there's a clarity around that. But it's also a thing that you can be a silent investor in someone's life. You can be a silent investor. You can be investing in them and they don't even know it. 
we've had both, both of us have had this happen in our life, especially for Grant when he was in high school. There was an older guy who was two years older than him in school who was a silent investor in his life. They became friends, and he was one of the biggest influential voices in his world for like five years. And he said it was a whole year later that he realized, oh, you're discipling me. A whole year, guys, of regularly getting together. Why? Because to him, it didn't matter. He was going to give away what he had. So I think some of this is personality. Some of this is like relationship. But it's absolutely okay to be a silent investor. If you're at your job and you've got somebody that needs Jesus, be a silent investor first. Take them out to lunch. Listen to their story. And just inject, you know, inject hope. Inject life. Point them to Jesus. All that kind of stuff. All right. So how do you be a great mentor? Three more steps for you. This is like practical Patty message. Three, three steps for you on how to be a great mentor. The first one is this. Be available. That sounds simple, right? But if you're going to invest in someone's life, you need to be available to them. So this looks like have them over to your house for dinner. Let them meet your family. Not that you have to always be together, but let them see your world as well. Be available to them. Second step, offer freely without strings attached. Everybody say Amen. Sometimes we feel like we're entitled to the strings we put out, right? Well, I've given you so much of my time, and you should do this for me. But when you're on the other side of it, you never want that. So offer freely without strings attached. And the third is this, speak up, but with gentle love and care. Speak up, speak into their life, right? Be willing to say, hey, I see this is going on. Let's talk about it. How do you feel about this? What do you think God is doing in your life? Like, ask them questions, but be willing to say something because if you're mentoring them, you're discipling them, then what you're doing is teaching them to be like Jesus. Amen? All right, so you can put that up there. You guys can take a picture of that if you are like, I'm ready to be a mentor. Here it is. Okay, so last thing I've got for you guys today is this. There's three no-nos, big no-nos. Don't do these, okay? The no-nos of mentoring. And the first one is this. It's not about you. I'm going to let that sink in for just a second. I learned this the hard way, but it's not about you. Who you're investing in, their successes and their failures, it's not about you. It's about them and God. And your job is to be like a midwife or like a tutor, right? To be the connecting point to pointing them to Jesus, not making them just like you. Sometimes we get way off course because we're like, well, this is how I would do it. And if you're not going to do it like I would do it, then something's wrong with you. No, guys, they're just not you. They're not designed like you are, right? I think we've talked about this extensively over the years, but if I told you guys you have to spend time with God like I do, half of you, you would probably never spend time with God. And if Grant said the same thing, because we're completely opposite in that, same, right? It's about them discovering God, and it's not about you. This is particularly important when they don't do well when they don't do well, when they haven't heeded your advice, when they haven't sought the Lord, and then you take that personally, which is natural but very hard, just remember, it's not about you. The second big no-no, controlling and coercing people. Ugh. Right? Have you, I don't know, don't raise your hand, but if you've ever been controlled in a spiritual setting, you know exactly what this is like. But what does it look like? You're sitting at coffee, and you're like, I feel like God is telling me I'm supposed to do this, and somebody goes, well, that's not what God's telling me. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, well, you're mentoring me, so I must be wrong, right? Don't 
don't be coercing people, don't be controlling people, give them the freedom to do what God is telling them to do. The third one, it goes a little bit along with that, but don't have unrealistic expectations. So here's what I mean by this. Like, hey, it goes a little bit with the strings attached, but it's like this idea that you have to do all of these things for me to, for you to be worthy of my investment, right? It is okay to say to somebody, hey, if I'm going to mentor you, if they come to you and say, would you mentor me? And you say, yeah, if I'm going to mentor you, here's what it needs to look like. Here's kind of what I expect. If you lay that out on the front end, that's totally cool. But if you're going along with it and then you're like flipping it on them, do you know what I'm saying? And you're like, oh, but you weren't doing that. And I, I, I think you need to be doing that. So we're not going to meet this week until you do this. It's like, oh, okay. That might work if that was the nature of your relationship from the beginning. But when it becomes that, just say no. All right, so those are your three big no-nos of mentoring. It's not about you. Don't control or coerce people and don't have unrealistic expectations. In our life, I think we counted up a few years ago, we've, we've discipled people in this category, I don't know, somewhere around 40 people. We've had like 30 plus people live with us at different times. So we have a lot of hands-on experience in this in our 15 years of marriage. And what's interesting is how easy it is to make it about you. Because it's your time, right? It's your wisdom. It's your stories that you're sharing with people. But what I've found in the last few years after the Lord really brought us out of this mentality, and, and we recognized it really more than anything, what I've found is the joy of being able to watch God minister to them, and I get to be a small part of it. So the pressure is off, right? So no longer is it about me making sure I'm always your God for you, but I get to encourage you to watch you connect with God. And that is such a beautiful thing. That's where we all get to grow. So that's why these no-nos are really important. So here's my question for you, okay? What would it look like if you made time to invest in someone? What would it look like? In your sphere right now, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter you know, your job, doesn't matter what you do with your day, but what would it look like for you to pick someone and to invest in them? How could their life grow through you? And my other question is, what would your life look like if you had someone investing in you? Or maybe a better way to say that is, what kind of investment do you need today? It might be a coach, it might be a therapist, it might be a spiritual formation or a pastor kind of person, right? I don't know. It might be a hands-on, I need help with meal planning or I need, you know, whatever. But what would it look like? What do you need in your life? I believe that if we will give ourselves to this whole idea of discipleship that we've been talking about last week and the next few weeks, we will actually see your life grow because you'll be giving away, you'll be getting more, and then people will be blessed because of it, which is just a really, really beautiful thing. So if the little elephants of Polanisburg need people in their life, you do too. Right? You do too. And I don't know about you, but every time I think about that story, I'm always thinking about what in my life am I doing that I wouldn't do if I had a big elephant showing me what was right? Do you know what I mean? What have I in my own, you know, being on my own journey kind of thing, what, what am I doing that's like a byproduct of that, that is unnecessary, that's more of a struggle? I tell my kids all the time, I want you guys to start where I end. <laughs> like, you know that phrase, I want my ceiling to be your floor, Everything that I'm getting with the Lord, I want you to start there. In other words, I don't want you spending your life chasing down your identity. I don't want you spending your life trying to figure out who you are. I want you to start from that place because you'll be light years ahead of me. That's what mentoring is, right? Being able to say, listen, borrow my mistakes. <laughs> Let me be vulnerable and show you what I've done wrong so that you can avoid those and you can actually go further and farther. All right, so I'm going to pray for you guys.
And then we're going to take some time if anybody needs it. You guys will be dismissed, but if you need prayer um, for healing or inner healing or you just need somebody to talk to, we'll be up here for that. But I want to pray for you all um, that the Holy Spirit would show you what to do with this, right? He would show you who you need in your life and who you can put in your life to be a blessing to them. So, God, we just thank you that discipleship is our mandate. It's our calling. Lord, we thank you that we get to do this together as a body, that it's not just for a select few, but it's for all of us. And I just release over every person here that the, um, just the promise that as we refresh other people, we ourselves get refreshed. And so I just pray, Lord, that that blessing that comes from giving would be found in us. And Lord, right now, would you just speak to our heart? What do we need a mentor in our life? What, what category do we need a mentor in? And Father, we just ask right now as well, who is someone in our life already that we can begin to mentor? And would you put them in our path this week so that we can give something away to them? In Jesus' name. Thank you guys for being here. We love you guys a ton. We'll see you tonight, 6.30 at the water park.